Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke 2 is such a familiar, uh, familiar and uh, just beloved section, right? You know it. You've heard it time and time and time again. So much so that it sometimes can just become almost like you're listening for nostalgia. <laughs> you're not actually hearing what it says. You're just kind of getting the nice warm feelings. And nice warm feelings are nice, but they're not really the purpose of Luke chapter 2 either. Tonight I'd like to invite you to hear Luke chapter 2 with new ears, as if hearing it for the first time. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, do you notice what is present and what's not there? What's missing? What's absent? Well, what's present? Ah, an oppressive government. Wonderful. That's how we start. We start with the Roman government as a reminder to the people, the Jews, you are not in charge of yourselves. You've got somebody else over you who's ruling over you. You're not a free people. Caesar Augustus is in charge. Luke sets the stage here for us using the typical way of dating events in the ancient world. They would date events not by... Uh, a standard that we would be familiar with, but they would date it based on who was in power at the time. So we see this in the Old Testament, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died in, in Isaiah chapter 6. So they date it based on who was in charge. Oh, he died that year. Okay, that's a, a, a date we can use. Here we have a, a setting that is laid out for us by Luke that says, okay, who was in charge? Caesar Augustus and under him, you have Quirinius governing, governing Syria. Luke doesn't mention any descendant of King David. He doesn't even mention the supposed king of the area, King Herod, because Herod was really just a puppet king who was there at the pleasure of Caesar Augustus. And if Herod did something Augustus didn't like, well, he wouldn't really be king for very long, would he? Luke's introduction makes it clear. Caesar Augustus and the Romans, they were the earthly powers in charge. Now, Joseph and his pregnant virgin betrothed Mary make this trip from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. You've heard about that before, haven't you? But remember, we heard about this on Sunday. Mary has already made a very similar trip not that long ago. Mary had gone from Nazareth 
to visit her relative Elizabeth, who happened to live not too terribly far from Bethlehem. So she was really retracing her steps in in some ways. But the reason they make this trip is, of course, because of the government that's in power, so they can collect taxes. And then Luke records the birth of Jesus. And the words are so simple, aren't they? And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Did you notice something missing here? No angels singing, no bright lights, no declaration from heaven in verses 1 through 7. If Luke 2, 1 through 7 was all we had, all we would know is that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. There was no place for them in the inn, so she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, and we would have a humble birth. But notice, in those verses, if that's all you had, you wouldn't have a clue that this child was special. No hint is given here. It's all just mundane, ordinary stuff. There's nothing impressive about the birth of Jesus as it's described here. In fact, the circumstances are downright humble, which is kind of the point. The Son of God humbled himself for our sake. This is what St. Paul picks up on in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, how is anybody to know that this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger was the Son of God who had come to save? Well, we've got to keep reading in Luke chapter 2 now, don't we? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice the angels don't appear at the place of Jesus' birth. They appear out of town to the shepherds who are out in the fields. Everything about Jesus' birth is humble. His divinity, his godness is hidden. 
But then outside of town, the angel appears and says to the shepherds, hey, I've got good news for you. You've got to go into Bethlehem and see this thing. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We've got this amazing contrast in verses 1 through 7 and then 8 through 14, don't we? 1 through 7, there's nothing out of the ordinary. Everything seems very, very mundane. A census declared by the earthly power for the sake of taxes. A birth occurs, which of course is a miracle every time it occurs, but it's not the first time a birth would have happened in some humble circumstances, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. Then you get to verses 8 through 14. <laughs> and there's angels, the glory of God, the good news of great joy proclaimed from heaven. God sets it up this way on purpose, you know. Jesus comes in humility. He lowers himself to become incarnate, to become man. He enters the world in the same way you and I did. He was physically born with all of the blood and all of the pain involved in childbirth. Jesus doesn't choose for himself a comfortable place where he can be laid in a nice new cradle with silk blankets, but... He's laid in a manger, a feeding trough. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths, which are just strips of cloth, which is what you could just find to come up with, which would also probably double up and serve as makeshift diapers because that's what was available. Very humble. But he's coming as big news. It's good news of great joy for all people. So the angels appear to the shepherds, the impressive light show, the army angel, the chanting of the words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is all a means to say to them, hey, go to Bethlehem, go to the manger, go find this baby. This is the savior. This is the one God has sent for you. God was revealing to the shepherds what they couldn't have possibly known through their human senses, through their their normal human experiences. They couldn't have seen it with the human eye. That baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in the manger was the Savior, the Son of God. From the beginning, God was teaching us. He was teaching his people to trust his word. Not to judge by what we can see with our eyes, but to trust his word. See, according to the human eye, the baby was just another baby. Yeah, humble circumstances, but it's another baby. According to the human eye, Jesus was just another man crucified by the Romans. According to the human eye, baptism is just getting wet with some words being said. According to the human eye, Holy Communion is merely eating a little wafer and drinking a little wine, and that's all there is to it. But the Lord reveals there's so much more. The baby born of Christ, uh, the, the, the baby born of Mary was Christ, the Lord. That's what the angel said, right? Christ, the Lord. When the angel says, the Lord, that means Christ, who is God, who is Yahweh, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has come to you. So go see him. The baby was the answer to the prayers of God's people. 
that God would come down and help. The baby was the fulfillment of the prophecy spoken by God throughout the ages. Here was the one who would crush Satan's head. Here was the one who would overcome death. Here was the one who would bear our sins and be our savior. But the shepherds only knew it because the angels made them aware of it. So having heard the, re- the, the message, what was their reaction? <laughs> when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They ran to the manger. They ran to Jesus. Well, so should we. Well, we don't run to the manger because he's not there for us anymore. Where is he found for us? In his word. We hurry to hear his word. Where is he for us? He's there in our baptism. Where is he for us? He's going to come to us right here. By the means of bread and wine, you will have Christ come to you. How do you know that? Because he said so. Because his word has told you that. So you can't see it with your eyes, but you know it's true because when God declares something to be true, it always is. Hidden in, with, and under bread and wine. Here's the Savior who comes to you so that you can say, I know my sins are forgiven. I know Christ has come to me. I know everlasting life is mine because Jesus, Jesus who was born for me, who was crucified for me, has come to me and he covers my sin. Hidden too is the reality that Christ is king. You know, we still have our earthly powers to deal with. Some are quite oppressive, but the reality is they're all really just puppets who serve at the pleasure of the true king, Christ. And you know, we no longer date things based on who happens to be in charge. We now date things based on the coming of the king. Our dating system is based on the birth of Christ. Right? B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And historians, secular historians, try to do away with this, right? Well, we're not going to use that. We're going to use B.C.E. and C.E., before Common Era and Common Era. Oh, and it just happens to be dated to the exact same thing. (laughs) Because Christ is king. What Luke shows us is that in the mundane, the ordinary, Christ comes to us, hidden, yet revealed by God, so that we know him, so that we can be saved by him, so that we can glory in a God who loves us so much that he would enter our world in such a humble way, so that we can be raised up in glory by him. Christ is born for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.